Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. Aaron Lazar is here today. Aaron Lazar's got a new show on Fox called Filthy Rich. We're going to talk all about the show and a lot of other stuff. It's a uh, it's a deep conversation. It's a conversation that, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect going into it, but uh, we fell into some deep territory pretty quickly. And uh, it's funny, this conversation happened last week, and it feels extra relevant now, I guess, given uh, the news over the weekend of the passing of Justice Ginsburg on uh, Friday night. <sighs> it's... Uh, it's a tough time right now. I feel like we are just being tested in every possible way as individuals, as a country. Like, I keep holding out hope for November and wondering if we're going to go in a new direction. And I'm very encouraged that we might. You know, there was the the quote-unquote blue wave in 2018 that brought in a lot of new representatives to Congress and very different voices than uh, we're used to hearing in the halls of Congress. So that's positive. And you look at what happened after George Floyd, and those protests still haven't gone away. I mean, they've been going on for a couple of months now. And I really hope we're at a place where we're all awake and more politically active and aware of what's going on. And, you know, if you heard my show with Sarah Kenzier a few weeks ago, things are very dangerously close to teetering into authoritarianism. And I just worry that Justice Ginsburg passing could really be one of the events that tips the scales even further in that direction. And who knows? Maybe it'll be a, it'll be a galvanizing force and we'll get people out in favor of Joe Biden. Who knows? But uh, I'm heartbroken by it. it. It was really sad news. She was just such an inspiration to all of us and such a champion for human rights and uh, just an example of how to uh, how to live, right? I mean, she was tough as nails right till the end. I never got to meet her, but I did get to see her speak one time here in Boston, and uh, it was phenomenal. You know, I will never forget that experience. This was probably eight or nine years ago now, and uh, yeah, I will cherish those memories. And I hope that uh, we don't give up hope. You know, I hope this. I hope this is a chance for us to uh, to redefine our country and redefine who we want to be. And it's funny because this conversation with Aaron happened before Justice Ginsburg passed away. We talked last week and it very quickly went into a space of just that. What does it mean to be an American? How do we define ourselves? How has this quarantine been an opportunity for us to to redefine ourselves as individuals and as a collective whole. Aaron has been an actor for a long time. He's mostly known, I guess, for his Broadway work. He's been in 11 different Broadway productions, Phantom of the Opera, A Tale of Two Cities, Impressionism, The Last Ship. He was just on the national tour with Dear Evan Hansen, but he's also had a a fair share of uh, film and TV credits. He was in J. Edgar, directed by Clint Eastwood, Wolf of Wall Street, directed by Martin Scorsese. He's uh, he's done some pretty cool projects, and uh, Filthy Rich is definitely one of them as well. I had a chance to see it, and it's funny just sort of how relevant it is. Basically, it stars Kim Cattrall as Margaret Monroe, and she is the wife of a very prominent minister 
uh, and the two of them own this TV network, this kind of evangelical TV network. And her husband's plane crashes, and all of a sudden, she inherits this giant Christian broadcasting network, and also learns that her husband has been unfaithful and has fathered three different children from three different women, and uh, these children all have some sort of stake in the estate now. So this show is uh, it's interesting because it dives into what to me is some of the hypocrisy around a lot of these religious figures and I feel like, you know, this show obviously was in production long before Jerry Falwell's news came out, Jerry Falwell Jr. But uh, if you've been following that story, you know, you have a sense of sort of what I'm getting at, I guess, that sometimes people aren't what they present to the world. But this show is, uh, it's fascinating to me just because it really, uh, it delves into the sort of that evangelical world. And um, I don't know that it passes any judgment on it. I, in some ways, I felt like it was, but that may just be my own bias. Aaron insists that they're not out to, to get anyone or out to make fun of anyone. So yeah, that may have just been what was in my head, <laughs> kind of coloring it. Who knows? But uh, it, it's it's a great show for these times, and uh, it's it's one that I really enjoyed watching. Filthy Rich premieres tonight, actually, on Fox, Monday, September 21st at 9 o'clock. And obviously, if you're listening to this later, You can stream it, I'm sure, on the Fox platforms or uh, check your local listings, Filthy Rich. As I mentioned, Aaron's also a a Broadway star, and he's working on an album right now that was really interesting to me. I wish I'd had time to ask him more about it. Uh, He mentions it briefly in the interview, but it's called Broadway Lullabies. And right now it's just kind of a Kickstarter campaign that he has going, but uh, the goal is to actually make an album with him singing and, and some of his friends from Broadway as well, singing lullaby versions of famous Broadway songs. So it's a cool idea. Like if you're into show tunes and, you know, or looking for a different twist on them, it sounds awesome. And uh, definitely check out that Kickstarter campaign, Broadway Lullabies. Aaron's been spearheading that. And hopefully uh, that album will be in front of us sooner than later. All right, here it is. My interview with Aaron Lazar. Let's start, I guess, by just, you know, I, I want to know sort of how these uh, these last, whatever, six months or so <laughs> have been for you. How has this uh, this quarantine period been? Yeah, thanks for asking, man. I, I want to know how it's been for you, too. It's been it's been fine here. You know, I was I was on the road for uh, almost 18 months with a, with the Broadway National Tour of Dear Evan Hansen straight into Filthy Rich. And so being home uh, has actually been a, a blessing yeah. for me because I get to be with my kids. So. You know, other than the homeschool thing, which has been crazy, but you know, so many people are dealing with it. Right. Thank God we are uh, we're healthy, and for the most part, until until the West Coast lit on fire a couple weeks ago, the right. weather was great. And yeah. So there's more to do here. You know, I lived. Um, I was in New York for almost like New York, and then moved when had had the kids moved to New Jersey for a couple of years. So I was on the East coast for like 15 years and obviously the weather here being good, we can at least get outside. So the pandemic was, I think for like anybody else, it was tough at the beginning, just adjusting to what this was. And then we all have our moments of like, Oh my God, can this please be over? Um, But you know, thank God we're okay. And my heart goes out to all families that have been affected. I mean, we hit the 200,000, yesterday that yeah. mark which is uh 
just tragic. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like, you know, it's such a milestone and it barely registers anymore. Like I remember when it was like 60,000 and we were all freaking out and now it's just like 200. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I, I guess that's still happening. Like, I, I just don't know, you know, I don't know how we get out of it. Like, it's just, it's very, uh, very upsetting, I guess, that it just feels like we're going to be in this until, you know, maybe late next year. Who knows? Yeah, I think I think those are great points. It's very surreal what that number has meant and what that number has felt like uh, as we've progressed into this thing. And, um, you know, I think if you are someone who's lucky enough to, you know, avoid the virus and your circle has avoided the virus, then that number means one thing. And then, you know, we found out last week that like friends of our kids, their babysitter was, you know, positive for COVID. So then all of a sudden the flags go up and you're like, okay, well, you know, we've done a really good job taking this very seriously and being very safe up to this point. And we just have to continue to do so. But, you know, it's just a tough time for everybody. Yeah. It is weird. Like, I feel the same way as you. I've got a seven and four year old and just like my world completely sort of collapsed into this, you know, little tiny space of just like my house and my yard and, you know, occasionally going for a drive or something. And that's going from, you know, traveling all the time and just like, you know, always sort of being out and around. And it's just such a different feeling now to be uh, to be home. But I I feel kind of guilty saying that I enjoy it, but I really do. I I like just getting to know my kids better and feeling like I've got, you know, time with them. It's a, it's a nice feeling. It's, it's sort of the silver lining, I guess, in all this. Yeah. Good for you. I feel the same way. And most of the people that, you know, I've commiserated with over the last six months feel the same way too, which is great because for us folks who are like happy to, to really connect with our kids, it is a very, very special time. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's tough. My brother, my, 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 my boys are eight and 10, but my, my nieces are like three and a half, you know, headed to four. And I empathize cause like, like my brother's in Manhattan yeah, and he can't really, they can't take my niece like walking around that much outside because she wants to play at every playground right? cause she's a kid and they can't let her for whatever reason, maybe that's changed a little bit because New York has calmed down. But, you know, for, for a while, it was just like, oh my God, what do you do with a kid in Manhattan kind of thing? So I don't know what it's like in Boston. And you guys are also going to have, like, I, I don't know, what are your thoughts about, like, the winter? Like, like winter is coming. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's like, we've we've been having this alfresco lifestyle here for a long time, you know, eating outside and stuff. We haven't done it. I haven't been to a restaurant since March, but a lot of people are, you know, they set up the tables and that kind of thing. And, you know, yeah, that's sort of every time I drive by a restaurant, just thinking like, what's going to happen to that business? And, you know, uh, drive-through movies have become a thing or drive-in movies have become a thing. And yeah, I, that, that part is freaky. And I think there's been a lot of thought, a lot of the schools here have gone back to in-person learning and, uh, there's the thought right now that like, oh, well, if we just keep the windows open and keep fans going, you know, everything will be fine. And it's like, it gets cold. Like yesterday, it was like 45 degrees or something in the morning. And it's like, how do you, how do you do that in the middle of winter? I don't know. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. There, there's a lot wow. to sort out and it's just, uh, yeah, I guess we're just all kind of taking it one step at a time and just figuring out, you know, week to week, like, okay. Now this is the new normal. Let's go. Let's, uh, let's make it work. The in-person school thing must be great because everything school here in California is remote. But at the same time, 
right. What are you going to do in a couple months when it gets cold? What are they going to do? Yeah. You know, such, it's just crazy creative problem solving. Yeah. And, and the best people are the ones being creative. I feel like there's a lot of people that are, that are mourning what they lost and are just trying to figure out like, how do I get that thing back as close to how it was as possible? And like, I've really admired the people that are just like, okay, you know what? Like that thing is gone, but what's the core of what we do and how do we figure out how to deliver that (laughs) without, you know, completely messing everything up and, and people have been really innovative and that's been really awesome to see. So who knows if that continues, I guess, but for now it's awesome. Yeah, no, that's a huge point. I, I, I was talking about this with one of my best friends yesterday about like what is our identity as a nation mm. right now? Yeah, you know, and without like without us like sidetracking our conversation into like politics and the State of the Union, it is it <laughs> we is can go there. I don't care. And it, <laughs> well, it's just interesting, and it and it I find it relevant from from the creative standpoint in the sense that like you know. As you were just saying, like I, you know, this happens, right? And actors are, you know, we're used to sort of jobs come and jobs go. Like for the most part, uh, until you land on a on a long running television show or something, your job ends. You know, unless you're sitting in a long running Broadway show, and and God knows, you know, no one's able to to do any theater right now. Um, So everybody has to pivot, right? Like, how do you pivot? And for me, you know staying creative and spending time with my kids were like the two priorities. And so for me, like I was like, well, we can make music. And so actually me, my, myself and the, and the music producer filthy rich have been uh, working on a Broadway lullabies album where I was singing my kids to sleep with sort of favorite show tunes reimagined as, as lullabies. And then I thought, well, this would be great. Cause my, my kids had some anxiety, you know, related to the pandemic sure. early on. And it was a whole thing. And so now we've got like 10 Broadway stars singing lullabies and we'll, you know, we're making music so we can do that. Right. right. Like it keeps us creative. It's all remote, remotely done and yada, yada. But how can people pivot that are not in like a creative industry? Like, how do you do that? And I think that heading into this election, like, I think it's a, it's not only a challenging time because of this virus, and, you know, because of the election year, it's also just it's a challenging time because of the economy and and how if you identify. I mean, we all do. Right. You identify with who you are with regards to your family unit. Yep. And then you identify with what you do. And this country right now, like how can people do anything? Right. And so everybody is sort of lost. Like, what is your identity? And then you go, well, I'm an American. And then you go, OK, well what does that even mean? Because we're all these individuals. Like we've, we've spent the last what, 30, 40 years, just, you know, capitalism and individualism and all that stuff. And and it's like, Oh my God, well, who are we now? So I think the country's facing that. I mean, I I feel that anyway. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And just that feeling of like, yeah, that, that America was this, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a bullshit line, I guess. But like we all believed it for a long time of like we're this, you know, shining city on a hill and we're the example to everyone. And, you know, we're going to be the people getting in with all these other countries and saying, all right, you guys stop fighting with each other. Let's figure this out together. And, you know, we're America. We're going to help you. And now, like, I have a really hard time just sort of accepting that, like, you know, 
everyone's kind of laughing at us and our president and, you know, our, our passports aren't valid anywhere. Like you literally can't go anywhere right now, even if you wanted to, like just that whole piece of it is, you know, accepting that has, has been a challenge. And then sort of the, the doom scenario sets in of like, okay, what if we get to November and this guy's reelected and we have another four years of this. So just, like today they had this thing where the post office was going to send everybody masks in like April and that, you know, got nixed by the administration. It's like what like we can't just have this kind of piecemeal solution, you know, each state doing their own thing or each city doing their own thing indefinitely. Like at some point it feels like we need somebody to just step in and say, OK, it's going to take us this long. But if everyone stays home for whatever, two months and here's some money to help you through it and meet your bills and, you know, whatever. Like, there just hasn't been any sort of big initiative during this time. And that's, I find that very frustrating and just very, uh, I don't know, disappointing. And, and I feel like I'm in denial about it a little bit too, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's, I, I don't think you're alone. And to piggyback off what you're saying, I mean, again, you know, it comes from like, what what is our identity and and usually um, Americans we we have we always have an enemy, right. you know. So we we come we come together in crisis, and we come together when there's a, when there's a common enemy, whether it's a war or this and the other thing. And I think Trump's been really good at giving us an enemy until he just can't anymore. Like the virus is not an enemy; it's an equal opportunity offender. Right. And Biden is just you know this you can't not like the guy. Yeah. Like right. He's just, he's, he's an, it's impossible to not like him. So you can't make him the enemy. And so I think the president has just run out of enemies, which in an ironic and also very sort of, uh, it crystallizes what we're all going through because people have to find their own identity now. Yeah. And so it's polarizing and it's all this, but you hope that, right? The hope is what? The hope is that it leads to very creative and innovative solutions yeah. Um, and that by the states having to sort of look out for themselves. I mean, I remember I get on a weekly call with, with my best friends from college, you know, we went to Duke university and these guys are in all different fields now all over the country. And I'm, you know, a couple of them are doctors and get on the call. And I remember when it was one of the guys in Texas had a hospital full of N95 masks. Yeah. And the the other surgeon in Delaware had none and was not allowed by hospital policy, was not allowed to wear PPE to the hospital if he had his own. Wow. Because if if they saw the N95, they're like, well, why are you wearing that? If you're on this floor, you should give it to somebody who, need, who you know, this is what we were dealing with yeah. in, you know, April, April, May, June. And and that was because Texas was able to outbid Delaware for supplies which just makes no sense at all that that even had to happen. Yeah. And again, it's my hope that everyone learns so much from this that we come out of it, you know, how do you believe in government again? How do you trust government again? How do you find truthful fact-based news? Um, and also like you were saying, like, what is our opinion in the world? And it's like, well, no one likes the kid who like shows up to basketball practice being like, I'm the best one on the team, but it's right. really just sort of like the kid, the kid who sits at home and, and never practices and never plays, yeah. but just has that like ar- arrogance. And I think 
so many people in this country can't travel or don't travel and haven't seen the world. I've been blessed to see the world through work and stuff, yeah, you know? Totally. Um, but if, if you haven't, a little bit arrogant. To, you can't, I don't think we can sit on that perch anymore, you know, like stand on that column and right. like point fingers and like, it's, I don't know, man. So interesting times. Yeah, for sure. And it's uh it's interesting too. I feel like Filthy Rich is kind of premiering at just the right moment too because there's so much in there that really feels super relevant just to sort of the times that we're living in right now and you know, I I'm curious just sort of when you got uh you know this role of of Reverend uh, Paul Luke Thomas, like what what was the appeal in it for you? What 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 drew you to that role? Well, it's a great uh it's a great segue because of identity and right. like you have there's so many characters in the show and they're from all different walks of life and everyone you know different colors and all, you know it and they're all family right everyone's thrust into this family now right and then you throw money into to the mix right and so it's that whole thing that like yeah money's going to solve all your problems right like that's 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 the myth of the american dream that like well if i just had this that would be that i'd be happy and it's like, well, come on, we all know people who money actually makes more problems. Sure. If you don't know, if you don't know what you want to do with it, if you're not, if you don't, if you're not a grounded person. So it's a really cool show because you have Kim Cattrall's character who finds out after her husband, uh, after her husband's plane crashes, that she is now in charge of this billion-dollar Christian television network. And, and that she has three illegitimate kids. He fathered three illegitimate kids with, with three different women. Yep. And she starts to try and figure, you know, what are they owed in the will? And what is she worth? What do these kids want? And then I play the sort of minister of the network who has his own ambitions for, you know, power and, and how he views the family and his role in that family. And so it's cool. I mean, I think what drew me to it initially was, the script said he's like this sexy Joel Osteen kind of guy. Yeah. And I had spent enough time in LA traffic listening to Joel Osteen on Sirius XM radio and thought, this is an interesting character, man. Like he's a really good orator. He's a very good speech writer. I I hadn't watched him at that point, but just listening to him, I was like, these are compelling speeches. Yeah. This guy's interesting. And then I started to learn a little bit about his story and his story was, you know, in many ways, the American dream and very interesting. And I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to play. It'd be really cool to play him one day. Yeah. And so when the script, when I started to read the script and saw that, I was like, Oh, is this maybe an opportunity to, uh, to, to make that happen? Yeah. The, the physical, uh, similarities between you two are, are very, uh, you know, I, I noticed that right away. I'm just like, Oh, I think this is like a Joel Austin character. <laughs> like that was, that was right where my mind went. But, uh, yeah, so it's interesting that that was sort of the influence you drew. Yeah, well, it's funny because it, weirdly, whenever I'm at like the bank, and this has happened on more than one occasion, but someone will look at me and double take and be like, "You Joel Osteen's brother," <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" Yeah, like this was happening, you know, before before right. Filthy Rich. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's a there's a resemblance there, but. Uh, yeah, it's fun. I mean, uh, the other thing that drew me to it was that, you know, he in this in, you know, again, just going back to like when I first was auditioning and read the the pilot script, which is episode one of the season. And it said he's like a Christian music artist. Mm. And 
the opportunity to sing on on TV, being a guy who you know spent a lot of my career on Broadway, doing musicals and stuff, that was very appealing to me too because I love singing. Yeah. I love it. What uh, I'm curious, just what you said about listening to Joel Austin in the car, like especially with Sirius, like of all the choices, you know, there's 200 radio stations or whatever. Like, what was it that, that made you zero in on that? And what what drew you to, to listening to him in, in L.A. traffic? You can only listen to so much NPR, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah. And, uh, and at the time, podcasts just weren't what they are now. Yeah. So I think, I think that's part of it. And honestly, man, like, you move to L.A. from the East Coast, and it's a more free-spirited, creative, as Oprah would say, woo-woo-y kind of place. Yep. And I was like, all right, well, what is this about? Like, I'm not a, I'm, I, you know, I'm a nice Jewish boy from New Jersey, but like, I'm, I haven't been a religious guy yeah. in a long time, but my family's very spiritual. Yep. And so my sort of journey of finding my connection to spirituality has been all over the place, you know, from Joel to Eckhart Tolle and those kind of sort of self-development, you know, self-improvement kind of guys with, you know, the metaphysics stuff, you know, all the way to like Kabbalah. And I've sort of studied everything to try and find my connection to what it, to what it was that religion sort of served the purpose in my life for a long time. And then it didn't. And then, and then to fill that gap, I was like, well, how can I fill that gap? Um, So I'm super, interested in and invested in spirituality and faith and self-development and growth and all of that. And Joel sort of falls into that uh, niche, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting for me. You know, I grew up Catholic and uh, probably age 21, 22, somewhere in there, like just kind of said, you know what, this, this isn't for me. This doesn't fit anymore. But I agree with you about the, you know, feeling spiritual and, and sort of wanting to find a deeper purpose or a deeper meaning or something. And there's a piece of, of some of those, uh, you know, televangelists and, and people like that, that just sort of, I'm interested in, in sort of watching them and listening to them to try to understand the appeal for other people, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not sure that I fully buy it, but like, why, why is this guy filling a church that, you know, it's the size of like a basketball arena, you know, whatever, 50,000 people or whatever are, are going to listen to him in person every Sunday. Like, what's the appeal there? Am, am I the crazy one? Am I missing something? Like, I don't know if, if your mind went there at all, but that's sort of, I find myself sometimes just, you know, tuning into to some of those shows or, you know, picking up the Bible in the, in the hotel drawer or something and just sort of being like, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe there is something here. I don't know. Does that, does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, I mean, very, very much so. I think at some point in everyone's life, you sort of go, who am I? Yeah. And why am I here? Right. And when you open that Pandora's box, there is an existential rabbit hole that you can go down. Right. That at first, I really believe, you know, I'm sort of like one of those type A overachieving guys yep. who, you know, super ambitious and was like, well, there's an answer to that. I'll find it. Yep. You know what I mean? And I'll, I'll go on my Buddha's pilgrimage, you know, so to speak, to find it. And what I found was there is no end to that rabbit hole. Yep. There are just more questions. And so for me, the, the, the biggest sort of like answer that I either stumbled upon or then came to sort of embody was that 
all the answers are within me. Hmm. They just, they just are. Yeah. And it's a scary, terrifying thing to be like, but wait, you know, I used to have a question about this and I would ask these five people or this and these five people. And it's like, yes, absolutely. You might need expert opinions or advice, but the ultimate choice that you're going to make or decision you're going to make is going to come from you. And the only person that knows what to do is you. You got to listen to yourself. And so trusting yourself to make those decisions is like, how do you do that? And so it, it kind of swings us back full circle, Heath, because it's like, you know, the irony of America not having identity because we're all these individuals who've been raised to, you know, kids in kindergarten. I watched my kids at like the, you know, holiday assembly when they passed the microphone around to the kindergartners. You know, I remember this a couple of years ago. Yeah. And they say, what do you want to be when you grow when, when you grow up? And like, this five-year-old literally next to my son goes, I want to be a billionaire. <laughs> and everybody laughs and it's, and it's cute. And it's cute. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, like how far have we come from the days of my grandfather, you know, who God bless him, just turned 95. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, fought in the South Pacific and the whole thing. And like, just tried to provide, what was the American dream for his family and my dad? Versus my dad and me, and now me and my son's generation who think they're going to grow up to be billionaires, which is crazy and cool and also trippy and weird. And it's like, at what cost? Right. Because, and this is all just like to come full circle to say that like, once you find yourself in wherever you need to search, Joel Osteen, Oprah's Super Soul Conversations, all the books religion, whatever it is, the Bible, once you find yourself, if you don't realize in there that like, we are all the same, yeah, that that like soul spark or soul, you know, our soul, the light inside us from my kids, we call it their sunshine, whatever the heck that is. And I don't want to sound like I'm preaching here because my character would preach. Right. But um, my point is just to say that like, when you're look for all the people who are looking for who the heck they are right now, yeah, like just know that everyone else out there looking for that and trying to answer that same question is because we're all the same. It doesn't matter what color you are. Right. It doesn't matter how much freaking money you make. And if we could all just see that, we would stop. I think it would stop being such a divided, angry, you know. Put, let's put our blame for this on somebody else and our blame for that on somebody else. It's just like the change starts from right within you, man. That's all you can do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that is a crazy long winded, <laughs> super meta way of uh, me saying that what's cool about filthy rich <laughs> is that people are going to, people are going to be sitting at home at a time right now where yeah. the country is nuts and yeah. they're going to have this escape into like, Network television land, which is awesome, man, because it is Hollywood and it is glamour and it is all that. And this is a billion dollar Christian network and it's all that. But what you see on the surface is only a part of it. And, and our producers and sh- you know, our sh- creators of this show are so smart. And I think everyone's going to see something of themselves in one or more of these characters. They're going to have this escape while at the same time being satisfied on a level of like, Oh, this is cool. Yeah. What would I do if somebody presented me with, you know, 
$3 million right now. Right. You know, I think the show has, has, has that, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And, but, you know, I wonder like the, the whole thing you were saying about just the truth is inside of yourself and like you can, you can look at other sources, but ultimately the decision comes down to you. I think your character and, and Kim's character and, you know, a lot of the people in that world are selling this idea that we have all the answers, you know, give us your money and we'll tell you what you need to know, essentially. And I, I just I wonder sort of you know, there was a line that stood out to me where uh, Kim says to you at one point, you know, you were preaching in a double wide when I found you and sort of this idea that your character came up through poverty. And I just sort of wonder, like, if, if you got the sense, like, is he somebody that that really got into this because he wanted to preach and he wanted to heal people and help people. And he got corrupted at some point along the way. Did he always see this as, as a path to, you know, money and success and whatever? Like, I, I guess I, that's sort of when I see a lot of these, you know, broadcasts, like what you guys are portraying in the show, it just feels like a, like a con job to me. And I, I wonder sort of as, as you're developing your character, like, what did you imagine his intentions were in being this kind of famous TV preacher? Yeah, great question. I, I think it's all of it. I think everybody goes to church for a different reason, so to speak. And, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of time to, to, to research this, this guy because I got cast. I think I was the last actor to get cast. They had shot the pilot some months before, so I was a I was a recast for the role. Mm. And by the time I auditioned and got the job, there was like two or three days, and I was in New Orleans, oh, and wow. we were shooting. Wow. So I didn't have much time to sit with this guy or live with this guy. I had to go kind of on like like just get thrown into the deep end and go on impulse and put together whatever I could as fast as I could, obviously. But so I started to when I could while shooting the season, I tried to like deepen this guy and do the work that, you know, I could when I could. So one of the things was watching, right? Like a lot of preachers, yep. a lot, a lot of ministers, like, you know, YouTube's amazing, right? Cause it's all out there to see. Yeah. And like you were saying, there were guys, there were, there were guys that I would watch. I didn't, I didn't actually find many women. And so, you know, I don't mean to be uh, misrepresented when I say like guys, but predominantly what I was watching was like a bunch of, a bunch of men. And it ran the, it ran the gamut of like ministers that I really responded to, like on a genuine level to ministers and preachers that I was like, how are a hundred people standing (laughs) in line to be baptized by this guy right now? Right. Like what, how are you at all moved? by this it is a show right and i think there's something fascinating to that right that there's something out there for everybody and my job as an actor on the show you know playing a minister was to say well what what kind of ministry would i believe in Hmm. and can i is there did the writers write that is that part of the storytelling can i bring that to this story and there was the ability to do that like i didn't I don't want anybody watching this. If people watch it and think that we're poking fun at Christianity, then I think I think we've done something wrong. Hmm. I think we poke fun at everybody. And I wanted to be a believable preacher. You know, I wanted people to watch this and, and believe that this could be a ministry. Yeah. So that's what I worked really hard to do. But 
I hear you. I mean, what brings 70,000 people or whatever it is to that stadium in Houston, uh, to Lakewood, I guess is, is Joel's church. And I think, I think there's a lot of answers to that question, but our show, I think it's a really cool setup that the people who run this billion dollar network are confronted with those questions. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess too, just sort of thinking about the the role of parents in this too, and sort of like you know everybody is flawed, and sort of you know the the two kids had looked up to their parents as they, they sort of believed the version that that they were putting out publicly, right? That like we are these these great Christians and and really believe in all this stuff, and I, the wife to some extent, Kim, Kim Cattrall's character. You know, I, I think there's some denial there. She sort of knew what was going on to some extent, but you know when when the husband's plane crashes and you sort of realize what his other life was in this other world, like you know, I, I think we all sort of go through that at some point, right? Of just sort of discovering that your parents aren't the people that you put up on a pedestal necessarily, and and they're human, or you know, anyone that you look up to. I guess we're all we're all human. We're all flawed. Yeah, I mean, those are big moments in life, right? When you, the, you sort of see the wizard behind the curtain yeah. with something in your life. My parents are amazing. They have always been these sort of beacons of, uh, of integrity and very high moral and ethical standards. You know, not without their mistakes and not without, you know, their stumbles and falls and the whole thing. And... I guess, yeah. My parents kept most of real life from me and my brother and sister growing up. They were super young when yeah. they had us. You know, my my mom and dad had three kids by the age of 30, 31. You know, we were all born while they were in their 20s. Yeah. Like, I was like, I think I was seven at my dad's 30th birthday party. Like, I remember it. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you raise kids at that age? Right. You know, like, nowadays, nowadays like, I couldn't imagine. It. Like, I didn't have my kids until 10 years later. So... I give them all the credit in the world, right? Cause they just did the best they could. I mean, everybody kind of does the best they can. But I remember when I, when I started to grow up and, and see, you know, the real struggles of the family and just was astonished that my parents were able to, we all lived in that house, small middle-class to upper middle-class home in South Jersey. Like it wasn't like we had 8,000 square feet to spread out with right. some, you know, big, big office in the house where mom and dad could keep all the family secrets. It's like we, we lived in this house together and yet somehow my parents spared us from adversity really is what happened. Um, which was a beautiful, incredibly loving thing for them to do, but it didn't set my siblings and I up well for dealing with adversity in life. Like Mm. when you actually hit it, it's like, Oh, I don't have any skills for this at all. (laughs) You know? And yeah. like, God bless my parents for being as amazing as they were, but how do I deal with this right now? Um, and so I think parents do the best they can. And in our show, betrayal, like, you know, Eric and Rose are just betrayed. I mean, that's, I mean, Margaret is betrayed by her husband on insane levels. And then they've been betraying their kids. And I think betrayal is just, if you've ever been betrayed in your life on any level, that's one of the hardest things to ever, you know, absorb and then, you know, bounce back from. Yeah. So right from the get go on this TV show, you got people dealing with massive betrayal. Yeah. Um, 
And money is, is money going to buy those problems away, right? They're gonna, if you throw money at this, is that going to work? Yeah. Well, I mean, that there, there was a line, too, that I had written down that uh, when did everything in our world become a transaction? And that sort of stood out to me as like, mm-hmm. you know, just there there is that tendency, I think, as you said earlier, like the richer you get, the more you just kind of want to throw money at things or, you know, NDAs or whatever it is, like just trying to control Right. Control the narrative of, of your public figure or whatever. And uh, yeah, just sort of relying on that, you know, relying on money, relying on secrecy to to prop up something that, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's a part of me that just sort of wishes they could all be honest from the get go and just, you know, say, hey, I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm human. Let me let me tell you how I'm working through this. You know, the, the father uh, like that, that feels like it would have been it's something that that we don't do you know we 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 hide the truth from ourselves and from the people around us but uh it just feels like that would have helped things maybe all around i don't know well all i can say to that is i agree with you and i think if people tune in you might discover that that you know you might discover that, that you'll be satisfied on that level mm, okay i think there are there are there are characters on the show who discover that exact thing for themselves at some point in the first season and that that starts to happen and i think if you look i mean i you know to bring it back to like just the real world in our country it's like if people just did that like first of all what's funny about that he is like that doesn't that doesn't. If you had every character doing that, you have no drama, you have no conflict, and <laughs> right, you don't have a TV show, right? Yeah. But in but in real life, it'd be great. There'd be no drama. Yeah, for There'd sure. There'd be a bunch of people taking accountability for themselves and raising the bar on their level of communication and honesty and everything. All these things that, like, I don't know, but 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 as I sort of become more aware of how I am as a, as a, as a dad, right. And, how, and what I'm teaching my kids. Yeah. It's like, can I help these little humans on their journey to put better things out into the world? And that starts by teaching them how to be a great person based on everything that I've learned about people in my 44 years on this planet. Right. I think if everybody just freaking did that, I mean, just stop taking your anger and your biases and your prejudices and putting it all out there on everybody else. Just take accountability for your own shit and take care of you and your family. And that starts with you. Yeah. There's a, I feel like there's a thread (laughs) running through this whole conversation of just sort of the importance of looking inward and, you know, sort of how this, uh, how this time has really been a weird gift. I'm just thinking of, you know, the pace that we were all going at, you know, six, eight months ago of just, you don't have time to stop and think sometimes, you know, you just like, it, it, for me anyways, it was like, you work as much as you can just to be able to, you know, eat a crappy dinner and go to bed, <laughs> wake up and do it again the next day. And now all of a sudden it's just like, it's this crazy long vacation almost of just like, okay, like you got to get in your head and, and figure out where you're going. And that's, you know, it's the journey we're all on, I guess. Yeah. And I don't mean to sound angry. Like I'm, I'm venting in the sense of like, I'm frustrated because I, I see the, I mean, it's it's like, if I was going to church, I'd want to hear this from my preacher, you know, or if I'm going to synagogue, whatever it is, like I see the interconnectedness of everybody and I see the hope 
and I feel the potential and positivity of everything, the, the, the other side of that coin, you know, the despair and the pain and the suffering and all that crap, like we, we got to stop focusing on that and flip it over. And my frustration is just, I wish, and I know there's, look, there's more people out there who feel the way we do yep. than I've ever been aware of, yeah. you know, like, I don't think my grandparents' generation had this level of self-awareness, right? Right. I think we've, we've raised more and more people to be so much more self-aware and that these conversations are happening on, on a much greater scale than they ever were. But when you're at a crisis of identity as we are, I just want so badly for this to be a, a great place from, you know, just this, you could call it naive or romantic or idealistic or whatever the hell you want to call it, but I just have so much love for all of it that I just want people to be happier. Anyway, he <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you though. That's uh that's uh yeah. It's it's good goals and uh you know, I hope I hope this is a time that like I said we've all had a chance to catch our breath and kind of reset and yeah, we're going into this big period now, you know, coming into November to figure out like what is the direction we want to take this all in and there seem to be two very distinct competing plan. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I feel like in years past an election is like, do you want a 5% tax or a 5.2% tax or, you know, whatever it is like, Mm -hmm. it's just very, very similar things and maybe differences on a couple of issues. But here it's just like, do you want, you know, chaos and bloodshed and, you know, whatever, or do you want, you know, a healthier planet and a healthier environment and, (laughs) you know, paid family leave and health insurance and whatever. And it's like, I like that one. I, I think I'm going to go there. <laughs> that feels that feels better to me. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because you know the, this medium of the podcast. I listen to uh, one of the one of the podcasts I like a lot is Joe Rogan. Yep. And you know he had the, the the candidates on to talk for three hours each. You know, right. a couple of years ago, whatever. And like Bernie Sanders' point was, when you go on these debates on national TV and have 45 seconds to describe your policy on something it's impossible right they are ratings machines or whatever it is and i hope that people now that we do have access to you know podcasts and longer form uh media it's like i think we need to head in that direction you know somebody somebody was like trump and biden should go on Rogan together like that or that, or the debate should be like the debate should be three hours long and they should just get to talk. Like, you know, Bernie was like, if you, if you live in Europe, those countries allocate, you know, each candidate gets 30 minutes of free national televised time Yeah, where you get to go on TV and you get to like introduce yourself to the people of that country. Like what we expect of our, like the fact that our country expects people to like vote in elections without really having any ability to truly understand who these people are or what they're doing, because it's, it's all, it's Hollywoody, it's flashy. It's like, it's, it's sound bites and, and what's going to get higher ratings kind of thing. That's crazy. When things are really on the line as they are for us now, like, you know, it, you see more than ever how crazy that is. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. Well, we'll uh, we'll see where we end up. I, fingers crossed for you know, for uh, a, a good turnout and a uh, an obvious result, I guess. So there's not you know just months of 
of fighting about it. <laughs> that's that's the other way this could go, right? Yeah. Um, a dear friend of mine created a website that makes voting rules in each state like very. It lays them out like very clearly. It's it's uh, suffrageoversilence.com, mm. and you can literally just go there, and click on your state, and 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 then it tells you like if you're going to go in person, you can do this. This is if you're in this state your state will be mailing you a mail-in ballot or they won't. You're going to have to request it. This is when you'll get it. Everything's laid out. It's super clear. It's really uh, well done and uh, really, really helpful if anybody's looking for like information on voting. All right, there we go. Aaron Lazar. This is a fun talk. It was deep. You know, I didn't know where we were going to go, and uh, I'm glad we uh, got to touch on some of that deep stuff. I know I'm certainly in a place like Aaron, it sounds like, where I am uh, using this time for a lot of introspection, a lot of self-growth, a lot of uh, evolution. And uh, it's nice to talk to somebody that feels the same way and that's getting the same thing out of this time. Filthy Rich premieres tonight, Monday, September 21st at 9 o'clock on Fox. Check your local listings, and I'm sure you can stream it afterwards if you missed it on air, but uh, Monday, the 21st at 9. Go check it out. All right, I've got a really fun show coming up on Thursday. I'm going to talk to John Tartaglia. He's a producer, director, and puppeteer. He started as a kid, basically, like 16 years old on Sesame Street as a as a puppeteer, and uh, has worked his way up, does a lot of work now with the Jim Henson Company, and he is one of the executive producers and one of the performers on the new Fraggle Rock revival that is coming out on Apple TV+. Plus. So we talk about Fraggle Rock. We talk about the Muppets a lot. We talk about working on Sesame Street. He was in Avenue Q on Broadway, so we talk a lot about that experience as well. And uh, he's a Disney Parks fan, so we talk about the Disney Parks, which you know I love. And uh, he's also produced and directed shows for cruise ships, which was really interesting to me, and shows for Sesame Place. So, you know, theme parks. It was fun. We talked about all those things. I hope you come back on Thursday and uh, check it out. Hit that subscribe button and you will be one of the first to have that show in your feed. And I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Let me know what's on your mind, guys. Shoot me some messages and uh, we'll talk. I will talk to you guys on Thursday. Have a great week. Stay safe.